All right. So happy Easter. If you celebrate Easter, happy, I think it's uh, Ramadan is going on. Um, Passover probably just passed, uh, or happy pagan fertility bunny Easter egg day. <laughs> Or just happy Sunday or whatever time it is for you. However you choose to, uh, acknowledge this day or, or, um, spend your day, uh, or whatever you think about Easter or the holidays. I just hope you're doing well. Now I come from a Christian background. Um, <clears throat> I think, uh, Easter of 2020 when we were in the, uh, lockdown, the 30 days to, slow the spread or whatever that we were doing as a nation and lockdowns all over the world. I think that was the first time I had not been to any sort of service in my entire life. And it was the first time in, oh gosh, <clears throat> 20 years that I wasn't actually conducting an Easter service. And um, we haven't gone to church on Easter since. <laughs> but I did want to jump on. And I want to talk about the Easter story. And uh, I did a couple of interviews this week with some really great people. And uh, let's see, I've got some people jumping on. I see Ben says, happy Ishtar, Aaron. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, and the, the question came up uh, because, I, I, you know, I was a pastor for over 20 years. I was in some form of Christian ministry since I was 18 years old. So that was a total of... Uh, almost 30 years, actually just a little bit over 30 years in ministry. And then if you followed my channel or followed these videos or know anything about me, uh, you know that I went through a process that we call deconstruction, uh, <clears throat> where you deconstruct from your religious faith, your religious beliefs. And that can be a very painful process, can be a very difficult process. And the more dedicated and committed you are to something, the harder it is to deconstruct from that because it occupies so much of your life. So for me, my faith and my beliefs uh, not only made up, uh, you know, my religious identity, I guess, but it made up my entire identity. My entire sense of self was invested in this. My entire social circle was a social circle of people that believed like me. Uh, my finances were tied to it. My living was tied to it. Uh, my family was into it. And I began to question. I began to have questions. I began to allow myself and give myself permission to ask those forbidden questions that a lot of people in churches have but they're afraid to ask, right? And then also, <laughs> I had been studying psychology, gotten a degree in psychology, gotten a degree in clinical mental health counseling, and realized that a lot of what we did was very uh, mentally and emotionally sick and, and difficult and twisted. And uh, as I've had years to kind of deconstruct and get away from that, the more I look back on what I used to believe, the more I'm just like, oy vey. <laughs> just I can't believe that we used to do some of the stuff that we did or or believe some of the things that we believed uh or that I taught some of the things that I taught or did some of the things that I did but that's life right that's how you grow you grow from those experiences but I got asked in these interviews and I've been thinking about this a lot um you know where have you where have you landed now where are you at with things because I've been very much on record that for me uh, total, just, um, uh, even though I'm, I'm, I, I see the toxicity that is in the faith that I once promoted, 
I also, uh, how do I say this? I also could not let go of the spirituality side of things, the supernatural side of things, uh, the supernatural things that we saw. And so trying to sort all this out, what do I do with this that was beneficial and served me? Obviously, it was beneficial and it served me, or I never would have stayed with it for 30 years. So, uh, you know, it was serving me at some level at some point. But then there's all this other stuff that I don't believe anymore, don't agree with anymore. So what do I do with these couple of things? So I thought it might be good to uh, to come on here and talk just a little bit about just briefly at the introduction of this about where I've kind of landed. So uh, after deconstruction or as I was deconstructing, one of the things I did was I really explored other um, spiritual paths. I looked into shamanism. I looked into uh, Wiccan, I uh, looked into the tarot cards, I looked into, um, even Luciferianism, Luciferianism, uh, Hermetic wisdom, um, a little bit into Buddhism. And so, so here's what, here's where I've landed. All right. Here's, here's what I think. I do believe, uh, l- l- let me start this way. I don't believe in the orthodox Christian faith that was created at the Council of Nicaea or ratified or established or however you choose to see that. I don't believe in the exclusivity or superiority of the Christian faith. I think that all of Christianity has a superiority complex, and I think that's been a big problem in the world. I think that's why there has been... Uh, why it's so easy historically for those that cling to the Orthodox faith to have become so violent and terrible to cultures. That's why they've destroyed cultures. That's why they've committed genocides uh, is because of the superiority complex. We've got the one way. We've got the right way. We've got the true way. And everybody else in the whole world has to conform to what we believe. But when in reality, the fact of the matter is, is that let's be honest, guys, Christianity by and large can't deliver and does not deliver the goods. I mean, we'll get together on Easter Sundays and we'll say, you know, he is risen. And then the crowd will respond. He is risen indeed. And we have a lot of emotion tied to that. At least I did. I had a lot of sentimentality. I like uh, uh, Easter used to be one of our biggest family holidays. Uh, and celebrations. And so there's a lot of sentimentality. There's a lot of, of emotional ties to Easter as a holiday and to Christianity as a faith, right? Irre- uh, uh, irregardless. Uh, by the way, guys, irregardless is not a word. <laughs> I know people say it, but it's not a word. It's regardless. <laughs> Can't believe I almost said irregardless. That's so bad. I, I need to just end it right here. I'm just, I'm so ashamed of my vocabulary. (laughs) Despite the fact, let me say it this way, despite the fact that I had all these social ties and I had all these financial ties to ministry, um, and I believed in it with all my heart, I also had all this sentimentality and emotional attachments from family and from growing up and, and stuff like that, right? And 
so we get together on Easter Sunday and we talk about the resurrection. We talk about Jesus and the power of the resurrection. But by and large, Christianity does not deliver them the goods. Uh, by and large, even though, you know, we tell people uh, that the message of the gospel is good news, that we say Jesus Christ came, that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. The joy of the Lord is my strength. You can have a peace that passes understanding. Uh, you can get your prayers answered. All things are possible with God. And by and large, Christianity, the way we know it today, does not deliver the goods in any way, shape, or form. Not only does it not deliver the goods in most churches, I, I promise you, in your church, uh, with your pastor, your group of elders, unless you're part of a charismatic movement, and I'll get to that in a second, but but by and large, it doesn't deliver the goods for you. And what I mean by that, let's supernaturally, that, uh, the healings, massive healings, massive healing services, um, miracles, financial miracles, uh, but even peace that passes understanding or love your neighbor as yourself or love your enemies or heaven coming to earth. By and large, it doesn't deliver the goods. Uh, joy unspeakable and full of glory. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Most Christians, I know, they're not experiencing those things. They're not living out those things. They're not, it's not a living reality. So what happens then is Orthodox Christianity over promises and very much under delivers. Some of the most, uh, neurotic people that I knew were pastors and leaders that would preach one thing on Sunday morning and yet they would be anxious, they would be insecure, they would be depressed, they would be jealous, they would be competing, they would be angry, and that anger would come out oftentimes in the pulpit. The jealousy and the competition would come out in the back room. And uh and so if it's not working for the people that are preaching it, then um, you know, what are we gonna do? And so by and large we just have to be honest and say it doesn't deliver the goods. Now, on the flip side of that, my experience has been that the more I got free from those toxic energies and that sort of toxic environment, the more I got away from uh, everything that was connected to that, the lighter my load became, uh, the easier my life was, the freer I felt, the happier I felt, the more peaceful I felt, and definitely um, the more compassion that I would have for people who were not like me. It was kind of weird how that worked because I began to have more compassion for people maybe that weren't like me than compassion for people that were like me. (laughs) I'm sure Carl Jung would have a thing or two to say (laughs) about that. So I just began to realize, and I realized it on an Easter Sunday, actually, uh, in 2017. Yeah, no, not not Easter of 2017, around Easter of 2017, not Easter of 2017. I was at a conference Easter of 2017. But when I got back from that and just being around my family and going to church and getting the Bible, I began to realize, man, there are a lot of emotional triggers here. This has created a lot of uh, real insecurity for me. This has created a lot of uh, duplicity and incongruence within me. And um, and so I had to get out. I had to extract myself from that. It was very difficult, very painful to just extract myself from that. But, I, but at the same time, 
I also began to experience just higher states in meditation than before. I began to experience synchronicities. I, I would say almost in some ways for me in my personal life, the supernatural ramped up. And by supernatural, what I mean is things that defy ordinary expectation. That's how I would, uh, a phenomenon, let's, let's define it this way, supernatural phenomenon that defies ordinary expectation. So synchronicities sometimes do that. Um, <clears throat> but just, uh, the, my, my sensitivity to energy, subtle energies, uh, the feeling within my body, the feeling within myself, being more at home within myself, being more at ease with myself. Um, and then, like I said, ex- experiencing these higher states of being through meditation and various different things and various different practices. So where I've landed is that I do believe, I, I don't believe in God in the sense that I believe in Yahweh. I think Yahweh, honestly, was an ancient tribal deity that the Christians co-opted, that the Jews co-opted, what we call the Jews, Jewish people co-opted first from whoever, and then the Christians co-opted. And I don't believe that that God is sitting in the sky somewhere, um, you know, check checking his list, making a list and checking it twice, trying to find out who's naughty or nice. Like, I don't believe in that anymore. <clears throat> But I do believe in intelligent design. I do believe there is a, that, that there is infinite life. I do believe there is infinite consciousness, uh, infinite intelligence. I do believe in benevolence. Um, <clears throat> that, so for me, what Greg Braden calls the divine matrix, what I think Joe Dispenza calls infinite intelligence, what uh, Joseph Murphy and perhaps Neville Goddard call the life principle that is within us. That makes the most sense to me. That answers most of my questions. So I do believe in a metaphysical reality, very much so. I do believe in a quantum field. I do believe in intelligent design. I do believe in a divine intelligence that is the source of all things. I do believe in consciousness and energy. I do believe in evolution that we can evolve into higher realms and states of being. And so that's kind of where I'm at with that. And I said all that to say this because I'm going to use scripture today. I'm going to use the Bible today. Because <laughs> after all, my tradition is Easter Sunday, family tradition, religious tradition, and my background is in the Bible. And I still think we can find benefit just just like anything else. Just like any other movie or picture or story, we can find benefit and meaning in stories. So, so I want to, um, I want to look at sort of the Easter story beginning in John's gospel. And probably, if I'm honest with you, I could probably throw out the rest of the Bible, but John's gospel fascinates me. John's gospel captivates me. I don't think we've understood John's gospel at all. And so I'm going to give you what I think is how I understand the gospel, how it speaks to me. And then I want to look at that Easter story for a few minutes from the perspective of the gospel of John. Now, 
John chapter one in the beginning was the word, the logos, the divine mind, the divine consciousness, intelligence. And the word was with God and the word was God. Let me just quote it. I mean, let me just look it up so I make sure I get it right. Because I know the gist of it, but might as well do it right. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made and without him, nothing was made that has been made. This is what I want to highlight. In him was life. And the light, life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. All right. So several things here. Logos, intelligence, um, life, the life principle, energy, light, but also life, the life giving principle. So all those three things, the Holy Trinity, consciousness, energy, and the life principle. The Holy Trinity, Trinity, (laughs) consciousness, energy, and the life principle were in the beginning. And out of that then came everything. And without that, without that being the point of origin, nothing separate from that. So in other words, that's the governing principle, if you will, the, the origin of all things. And then it says the light shines that that life, life became the light of all mankind and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. Now, here's why I think we, here's where I take my reading of the entire book from verse 14. Now, if you know this text and things about this, this is where people begin to talk about the, the Jesus Christ is deity. They begin to talk about the Trinity, stuff like that. Because verse 14 says the word became flesh and he dwelt among us. And we have beheld his glory, or we have seen his glory, the glory of, as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And we say, see, so that proves the divinity of Jesus. The problem with this is that one little word in that verse, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, that one little word in there is probably better translated in the Greek as within us. And some of your Bible references will have that in the margin. Now, without belaboring the point as to why I think that, I can tell you this word when I when I did a concordance search on it, everywhere else it was translated within, in, or inside except for two places. The two places are here where it says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And Luke 17, I think three or whatever verse is there where Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is within you. Kind of fixed it in modern translations with that. It used to say the kingdom of heaven is among you. But they don't mess with this one. They don't dare change this one because that's to mess with, uh, you know, almost 2,000 years of orthodoxy. But if we read it correctly, the word became flesh. This logos, this intelligence became human and dwells within us. And we have beheld his glory. The glory of the only begotten of the Father. We've beheld its glory. We've beheld her glory. Because it's, it transcends the gender differences that we know and understand. It's just using language to talk about it. And I'm still in the habit, you know, of patriarchy. <laughs> if we look at it that way, the word became flesh and dwelt within us and we beheld, we behold his glory. Then this infinite intelligence, this infinite energy, this infinite life principle is inside of every human being. 
really embedded in all of creation. But let's talk about us as human beings. Let's talk about who we are as human beings. We are an expression of divine consciousness. We are an expression of God. We don't need a God to come and save us. We don't need a Savior to come and save us. Oh, my God. What do you say? <laughs> oh, start the prayer chain. Uh, start the curse chain. Start the Christian witchcraft chain. Sorry. Anyway, I'm digressing. <laughs> Infinite intelligence, we, we're, we're, we are that. We come from that. Infinite energy, infinite light is us, is within us. And the goal is to behold the glory. Behold the glory of who you are. Behold the glory of what's in you. And that life is the light of men. But the darkness cannot understand that. The darkness cannot comprehend that. Some translations say the darkness cannot overcome it, but it's my understanding the better translation is the darkness cannot understand it, cannot comprehend it, has to or apprehend it. So it's very important then if we're going to express our divine human potential that we apprehend this divine infinite consciousness, that we're able to lay hold of it, that we're able to shift our consciousness into participation with it, that we are able to walk in the lights and the life of it. Like we cannot access this infinite energy, we cannot access this infinite divine energy, this infinite divine life, this infinite divine wisdom and intelligence that is within us, if we can't apprehend it, and apprehending it has to do with mind, has to do with states of consciousness. Now, going down through John's Gospel, Jesus is baptized, and the next thing you see is two disciples come, start following Jesus, and Jesus turns around and says to them, what are you seeking? And they say to him, they say to him, Rabbi, we want to know where you live. Teacher, we want to know where your abode is. We want to know where you live. We want to now, if you read this literally, if you read this literally, then you're basically saying that, that I'm sorry, the disciples are basically saying to Jesus, we want to see your home. We want to see your new home. <laughs> we want to check out your flat. We want to check out your apartment, whatever. If you understand what's happening here, we want to see where you're dwelling. And he says, come and follow me. Basically, come and follow me and I'll show you. And so what the, what John is doing here is he's inviting us into an inward journey. He's inviting us to behold the glory of the word made flesh within us. And as we're reading the story, we are not reading about a hist- uh, uh, we're not reading a historical account about a figure who is the second member of the Godhead who had to die to save the world and satisfy his bloodthirsty, angry dad. What it's doing is it's inviting us to follow to to become one of those disciples to follow through the story so that we can see in here, which is why when you get to John fourteen, fifteen, and sixteen. Uh, that great 
you know, discourse that Jesus does in John 14, 15, 16, and 17. It's the culmination of the book, and you see over and over again the word abide or dwell, uh, that, 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 that you become the house of this eternal spirit. You become the house of the divine. It, in other words, what I believe is supposed to happen in John's gospel is it's supposed to, as we contemplate it, as we engage with the text, it is, it is a tool that was used, a spiritual, an ancient spiritual tool that opens up the infinite consciousness and opens up the light, the life, the energy, the glory, the, the wisdom can open all that stuff up for you. So we are not reading this in a literal sense. And I'm going to show you this in a second. In fact, uh, if you, you've almost got to be uh, just completely not paying attention. If you read the gospel, if you read through it, to miss this, you have to be almost brain dead. <laughs> Because over and over and over in the text, it's like if you take the literal translation, you miss the entire meaning. So Jesus talks in John chapter 3 about being born again or being born from above. And Nicodemus says, how can I enter into my mother's womb a second time? In other words, if you take the literal meaning, you're missing it. Jesus meets the woman at the well, and he says, wells of living water will be within you. Or if you drink of this water, you'll never thirst. And she says, where's the literal well? Where's the externals? See, looking at the externals, be born again, something happening in your consciousness. But Nicodemus misses it because he's taking it literally and looking outside of himself. How can I be in my mother's womb again? John chapter 4, where is this water that I can drink of it? And Jesus says, no, no, no. I will open up a well of living water water inside of you that you can drink from so that you'll never thirst. Jesus uh, then talks about the manna that came down from heaven and the bread. And they say, where is this bread that we may eat it? And Jesus says, no, if you take it literally, if you're looking externally, you're missing the entire point. If you're looking out here, you're missing the entire point. If you're not looking within, you're missing the whole point of the gospel. It's belabored all throughout the text. Then you get to John chapter seven and it's the Feast of Tabernacles and there's a ritual that they would do at the temple, a temple ritual where they would pour water down the steps of the temple, which which illustrates the, the flowing rivers of Ezekiel chapter 47 and the river of life. And, and, and they're talking about that. And Jesus says, if you believe in me out of your innermost being, out literally out of your belly, out of the hollow place inside of you, will flow rivers of living water. So he's trying to point you to what you are and who you have and what is inside of you. And belaboring the point that if you look at, at, at the externals, if you look at the externals, you're going to miss the entire point. You're going to miss everything. So now let's bring this up to the story of the crucifixion and the resurrection. And let's see if we can give it some meaning that will help us. Now, if you're looking at an external Jesus, you're missing the entire point. Of the gospel. You're missing the whole point. Not just these references, not just see the deeper point is this. If you read this as a literal story about a person and something outside yourself rather than something within yourself, you're missing the point. Like the point of the text isn't there's a well out here, uh <laughs> there's water coming down the 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 steps. Um you gotta enter your mother's womb. The whole point is to shift your entire paradigm. It's not just about wells and temples and that kind of stuff. It's like shifting your paradigm to understand that you are the Logos, that you are this light and life, 
And you have to be able to apprehend that, right? So then also, don't make it about a Lord and Savior that's outside yourself. Now, here's how we can know this, because we know that, you know, from the story, that Jesus was going to rise on the third day. (laughs) Three days. Jesus was going to rise on the third day. But he's taken on Friday. Well, he's crucified on Friday. He's taken on at the Passover. He's crucified right before the Sabbath day, which would have been our Saturday. So he dies on Friday, buried on Saturday, rises from the dead on Sunday. Now that technically Friday, Saturday, Sunday, but it's not three days. That's on purpose. Because if you try to make it work literally, where Jesus said three days he'd be in the heart of the earth like Jonah was in the belly of the whale, the math doesn't add up. It's not supposed to, because you're not supposed to take it literally, I don't think. So looking in in John's, the way John does this, Judas, his betrayer, this is where I wanted to get to. Man, all that introduction, terrible. This is what I wanted to get to. I don't mean that. Hopefully the introduction wasn't terrible. It just took me a lot longer than I wanted to. Um, Judas betrays Jesus. And they come to apprehend him. And something very, very interesting happens. It says the, the soldiers come. They're in the garden. Judas is leading them to Jesus. And the soldiers are coming. And he says, what do you want? Who? Not, not what do you want? Who do you want? Watch this. Who do you want? And they said, we've come seeking Jesus. And in our text, it says, I am he. And it says when he said that, there was so much power in what he said, that the forces that came to arrest him fell on their backs. And they get up and come a second time. Two is kind of important in all this. Number two, there's a pattern. They come to him the second time, and he says, who do you want? And they'd say, we want Jesus, which Jesus' name means Savior, right? And he says, take hold of me, apprehend me, take me, and leave the rest of them. Take me. And leave the rest of them. Take me, some translations, and let the rest of them go. And so they do that. And here's where I think the inner meaning of this is. This is what I think the inner meaning of this is. When Jesus says, I am he, he uses the word for the divine, the I am that Moses heard at the burning bush. But there are two eyes or two selves. It's repeated. Um. I am I, basically. So two eyes are two selves, but also the divine name. He says the divine name. And he says, who do you want? And they say, we want Jesus. And he says, apprehend me, take me, take me into you, take me into your custody. (laughs) Not into you, because then we get into all the other religious BS. Take me into custody, but let these others go. 
So here's, here's, I said all that to say this, that if this story that happens in springtime, that happens at a time of a new, uh, new birth in the earth, right? This is the season of new birth. Uh, the, the trees are budding, at least where I live. You know, we have the four seasons. Everything's been dead. The bugs have been dead. Thank God the mosquitoes have been dead. Uh, the birds have mostly gone away. So there's a real season of no life. And then when we come into spring, things start turning green again. Uh, the trees start to bud. The birds start to show up again. The bugs start showing up again. It's rebirth. It's the rebirth of the planet, at least in our part of the world, which is why this is taking place in spring. It's, it's not a coincidence. Um, but what about rebirth inside of us? What about change or transformation? Here's my point. What about change and transformation? If we just take the name Jesus to mean salvation, saving, not as a savior, but that which saves, then who do you want to be? Like we can almost read that question. Who do you want to be? Not who have you been? Not who are you? Who do you want? Who do you want to be? I talk to people all the time that say, well, I just don't know who I am, or that's just not me. Or, uh, But what, what is a self? How do you know who you are? And I do believe there's some merit in getting to know yourself and finding out your likes and your dislikes and what makes you happy and what doesn't make you happy. I think I think those things are important. But at the end of the day, maybe the more important question is not who am I, but who do I want to be? Who do I want to be in the future? Who do I want to be in this world? Which requires me to lay hold of who I want and let the others go. See, as long as I'm just rehearsing who I am based on who I was in the past, then I'll just keep repeating who I am day after day after day after day. I just get stuck in this cycle. I get stuck in this pattern. And I try to change my life by working on everything outside of myself. Uh, I, I need a little bit more money, so I'm going to apply for jobs. Damn it, I didn't get that job. How come I didn't get that job? Well, I don't like the people I'm hanging out with, so I'm just going to try and make new friends or build new relationships. And then you get out there and find out that it's not as easy to make friends anymore. Uh, I mean, at least in reality, like I remember my parents, you know, there was, there was constant social functions that they were attending and, uh, with service groups like, uh, the, the Elks Lodge that my dad went to or, uh, the Rainbows group that my sisters went to. <clears throat> Obviously church was in there, part of it, but they had, they had, Card clubs, you know, where they'd get together and play cards or, or, uh, they'd never belonged. I think my dad did for a while belong to a bowling league, but, you know, these community service type organizations where you can connect with people and build real face to face community, they, they're not as prominent as they once were. And so I got to figure out how to go out there and, and make and build 
new friends. I, uh, I want to treat the, the sickness in my body matter to matter, meaning, meaning, um, I need to apply something out here to my body in order for my body to heal. You see what I'm saying? And so it's, it's looking at these externals to bring about change. It's looking for that well to quench your thirst. It's looking at Jesus, an external Jesus, an external savior to save you, or praying to some sky daddy up there that we know is, 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 doesn't answer prayers except for once in a while. And like my friend Derek Day says, you know, a dead clock is right twice a day. Heard somebody once say a blind squirrel can find a nut. But there's not the consistency with it. So real transformation can happen in our lives. Your whole world can change when you change. When you develop, when you have the ability to let the others go. When you can disconnect from the past. I had to disconnect from Aaron, the pastor, even though I'm kind of reviving him. I'm raising him from the dead today. feel like I'm preaching. Uh, I, discon- I had to disconnect from Aaron, the preacher. I had to disconnect from Aaron, the pastor. I had to disconnect from my social identity and who people knew me to be. I had to disconnect to a large degree from extended family and who they knew me to be. Uh, uh, and, and, and all these things because I was disconnecting and I, and I didn't, don't get me wrong, like it's not like I, I walked away from people. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that I had to disconnect from my old identities. I had to disconnect from old paradigms. I had to disconnect from old values so that I could have something new inside, so that I could have a new way of being, so I could have a new life expression, so that I could be something different, so that so that I could have something different So because I, because I was being someone Different. And so that required a death and a rebirth. That required a death and a resurrection. That required that I understood who I wanted to be. I had to rewrite my life mission statement. I had to rewrite my beliefs. I had to resist the urge to go with the crowd. I had to block out voices that were out here. I had to stop looking for validation for my beliefs out here. Is it okay if I believe this? Is this true? I need to get counsel on this. I'd like to do this and go this direction, but, oh, that may not be right. Let me ask somebody and see if I can get validation for it, which is what I did my entire Christian ministry just about, looking for some kind of external validation. And so... I had to let all those parts of me go. Part of me that was afraid of persecution. Part of me that was afraid of financial failure. Part of me that was afraid of being alone. Part of me, this is the biggest one right here. You ready? This is the biggest one right here. The part of me that was afraid to be wrong. And that's why I was seeking the validation. Because growing up in a family was very toxic, a very toxic family system with an abusive father and a shaming perfectionist mother. And I love my mom and dad, and, and we're good. They're on the other side, and we're good. But they did a lot of damage, and they did damage because they were damaged. And so growing up with that shame-based identity and being so afraid to be wrong, being so afraid that I wouldn't do it right, being so afraid to be censured, especially by someone uh, that I looked up to or admired or, or was in authority, 
I had to let go of that self. I let go of the insecure self. I had to let go of the self that needed public accolades and awards in order to feel whole. I had to let go of the self that had to graduate sum cum laude in order to feel intelligent and feel validated. Let go of trying to be the best at whatever it was that I was doing. So you had to let go of all that stuff. By embracing the me that I wanted to be, right? Who do you want? Who do you want? Take me. Not me. I'm in the story now again, in the text. Who do you want? Jesus said, take me. Take the me inside you. Remember, this is all inside you. This is all about what's within. Who do you want? Somebody stands up inside and says, take me. And let the others go. And in order to do that, you have to take a journey of death. You have to go to the cross. And in John's gospel, Jesus is crucified at Golgotha. Calvary, Calvaris, the Latin word for the skull. Jesus was crucified at the place of the skull. See, the darkness inside me cannot comprehend it, which is why in John's gospel, when Jesus is crucified, it becomes dark. It's going all the way back. When you understand it's all about you, when you understand it's about this inward journey, it's about this inward revelation of your own divine humanity, then you see the darkness when Jesus is crucified ties back into the darkness. Because the parts of you that are in the dark, that are ignorant about your own potential, they're ignorant about this, what, what and who you can become, that cannot see it, or that don't want it, has to die. Those places in the skull have to die. So that the you that you apprehended back in the garden can rise. So that's my encouragement to you today. Rise. Break with your patterns of the past. Your future does not have to be a repeat of your past. But you've got to spend the time to ask yourself the hard questions. Not who am I? Who do I want? And in order for what I want, who I want, what has to go? Apprehending who I want and letting the others go. And embracing the dying to things. The giving up of things. See, if you want something new, oftentimes you have to first be willing to release the old. If you want something new, you've got to be willing to let go of the familiar. If you want something new, you've got to move out of your comfort zone. But we've created a life of safety for ourselves. So we cling to playing it small because it lets me off the hook. We cling to uh, our fears. We cling to our social circles. We cling to what's providing for us because we create a net of safety for ourselves. And in order to move into something new, You have to be willing to let go of those old safety mechanisms. And so it does require courage. But I want to to encourage you. 
You are connected. You are an expression of limitless life. You are an expression of limitless wisdom and intelligence. You are an expression of limitless energy. And so, therefore, everything you need is already within you. You can find a new place to dwell. You just have to look within and come and see. So with that, I'm going to go back and look at the comments. I haven't been able to see them, but I need to move on and let you guys move on. So I'm not going to read them today. But with that, uh, hope you have a great rest of your day. If you're watching this again by replay, whenever you're watching this, I hope this helped you. If you're watching on my YouTube channel, please like, subscribe, comment, and I will see you again next time. Peace out.